This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with Brian Deneff and Dwayne Timlin of the band Viogression from Wisconsin. How are you doing, guys? Doing good. Doing good, man. Appreciate you joining me today, man. Um, thank you for your time. It's our pleasure, man. Yeah. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, it's Memorial oh. Day, man. I just did all the chores. Uh, now I'm kicking back with a cup of coffee, and I've been looking forward to this one um, because, like a lot of our listeners, I'm a longtime fan of Viogression. I have my own little story of buying. Um, so I, I'm uh, I'm about to turn forty. I bought Passage uh, uh, used on CD at a local CD store in the late '90s when death metal was going out of fashion, and right. um, fell in love with it. But that's 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 my story. Before we get e- even get into Viogression or anything like that, I always go back. And since we have two of you here, I'll start with Brian, um, and then Dwayne, if you just bear with us, I'll, I'll ask the same thing of you in a minute. But Brian. Are you from a musical family, musicians that, that are older than you and your family, or anyone in your background that steered you towards heavy metal and hard rock? Uh, I am not from a musical family whatsoever. Um, I'm adopted, so I'm not even related to them, like by blood. And But I will say the one person in my life was my Aunt Mary, she introduced me to like Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, um, really early on when I was a little, little kid. I re- remember hearing sounds that I never heard before coming from her room and s- smells I never heard before <laughs> or it smelled before. <laughs> also, but yeah, I would say, yeah, she probably had the biggest influence musically. Aunt Mary sounds pretty cool. Yeah, she yeah she was she died of cancer a couple of years ago, but yeah she was awesome. Sorry to hear about that, man. Um, but uh, so then moving forward, like I, I mean you know we we kind of know when Viogression starts. Were you in any bands that kind of like did original material or performed live prior to Viogression? Yeah, I um I was in a a local band called Crux for a while. Um, I was I was in some cover bands too um but it was um i was in another band too i I don't even i think we were calling ourselves dreadnought at the time i was really into um bodies and slices out of texas uh severed no no um oh uh Severance. Rigor mortis. Rigor mortis. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was really into rigor mortis. They were really into anthrax. Like I I kinda always leaned toward the heavier side of music. So then we ended up splitting up and I didn't do anything for quite a while. And then all of a sudden I, I heard a band playing on Well, I actually the first time I heard them, I heard them they were doing a King Diamond song. And that got my attention. She didn't hear people playing King Diamond, at least not in Milwaukee. And so kind of banged on the door, introduced myself, and they were looking for a singer. And from there, we they already had a demo written, the Perception Blur demo, except for Perception Blur, the title song, that one I wrote. But otherwise, all the other songs were done, lyrics, everything. And yeah, that was it. The rest is history. <laughs> yeah, that was the beginning of it. 
So, Brian, being being the singer of the band Go Back, did you ever play an instrument? Yeah, I started as a guitar player, and then um, my guitar teacher was, uh, I think he was three years older than me, and one time we were going somewhere to show or something, and I was singing in the car, and he's like, dude, you can sing. And I'm like, oh, oh all right. And he goes, why don't you sing in my band? So I pretty much sold my guitars and bought a PA and started singing. So I was like, I don't know, I was 16, I think. Okay. 17. Well, yeah. well the, the, the reason I ask is I just want to know if you had input in terms of um, the the musical arrangements or writing riffs or anything in Viogression over oh, the years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when he used to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, back when um, Brian Yeager was in the band, we wrote everything together. Mm. Like, he would kind of bounce his ideas off of me, and I would have ideas, and then kind of hum them out to him, or, I mean, you know, do this or do this. And then, you know, we wrote a lot like that together. He lived with me, so we, we were always working on music Okay, and you you mentioned Brian Yeager. If I got it, is it Brian, Jeff, and there's a third Yeager brother, right? Yeah, Barry. Brian, Barry, and Jeff Yeager. If I got it right, at some point, uh, at least two of them were in the band Apocalypse, and they relocated from Appleton, Wisconsin, to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and that's kind of when you joined the fold and they changed to Viogression. Is that correct? correct? Yeah, they they were they came down here and I met them about three months after they got here and got settled and got a place, and it was uh, Jeff, Leon, and Brian all sharing this three bedroom apartment south side here and yeah they, they jammed at this place called Thunder Bay and there was a bunch of bands from the area that jammed in there. And I was actually, um, I did a demo with uh, Eric Johnston, who played on Expanded Exhort. He was a guitar player. And he and I were friends. And we did a three-song demo and tried out for a band called Black Medallion. And right next door, that's when I, I heard them playing King Diamond. And I went in and introduced myself. And then I wanted to try out for them. Okay, and I, I, I don't want to get too far ahead um, before we bring Dwayne into the mix, but one last question really about this this period of meeting these guys. I've always been fascinated by the idea that there are three brothers um, around like at least the same generation who are all playing in bands together. Um, maybe do you want to just give any of your, your recollections about that? I mean, that must have been a little bit um, of a different dynamic than your average well, band. Two of them are drummers, so they were never in a band at the same time. God, well, yeah, God, because didn't at one point like Jeff joined Mortiscold and yes, yeah. yeah, exactly, yep, yeah. What what happened was Jeff and Brian are brothers. Jeff's the oldest brother. Then they have a younger brother named Paul, and then Brian and Barry are twins. Huh. So Jeff started the band with Paul. Paul didn't want to move down from Appleton, so Brian started playing bass in the band. So then when we told Jeff it was time to go and then Brian's twin brother Barry came in and played drums. 
Okay, and you know what? I'm looking now at the band photo from um, the Passage album where you guys are sitting on the couch, and I can see they're, they're clearly twins when you look at it like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Oh, yeah. Big family. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, their dad, their dad was an Elvis impersonator, actually had a what? hit up in Appleton, Wisconsin. I mean, so they were from a musical family. I, Everyone in the band is musical. I mean, all right, I could definitely see the genetics in their face for someone to be an Elvis impersonator in the family too, man. They got the, they got a little bit of a look there. That's yeah. that's interesting. Hunk a hunk of burning love. Well, that was before they <laughs> tattooed their faces, though. Whoa. Oh, well, yeah, he's got the bookie tat under the chin or on the chin, basically. You know, the tribal. The tribal. Yeah, we call them bookie. Oh, but they don't. They don't both have the same one, huh? No, but they're both tattoo artists, so they're covered in tattoos now. Well, they were. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting, man. Well, I I just was interested in that kind of dynamic of these this big family that was involved very early on in the band and and certain of them uh, through the years. But um, before we get too far ahead, like I said, Dwayne Timlin, um, same question: Are you from a, a family with musicians in it, older than yourself? Anyone in your upbringing that steered you towards hard rock and heavy metal? Uh, well, my brother's younger than me, but overall, yes. My dad's a guitar player, was into cover bands, and used to do a lot of stuff around here locally in the local cover band scene, I guess. So, yeah, I got my start really early. My mom used to force us into going to practices with him because she didn't want to deal with us. Cause, <laughs> well, between me and my brother, we're only 13 months apart, so we were constantly after each other, you know? So it was either divide us up, split us up, and usually nine times out of ten, I was the one that would go to practice with him. So, you know, I probably sat down behind my drum kit about the age of four, I want to say, somewhere in there. Huh. And then, yeah, pretty much down the line, just started doing my own things once I got into high school and, you know, had my own little clicks and shit, and we started figuring things out from there, playing covers ourselves, you know, and and that just expanded, you know. Because I didn't really want to, that wasn't my thing, really. You kind of do it, you learn how to play, and then you move on, you know? <laughs> All right. So when when do things go from, like, rock and, and, you know, maybe more accessible metal to underground stuff for you? I was always, you know, pretty much, I guess, I would say, dealing with my dad, that was, you know, he's all into the classic rock stuff. And kind of learned there, started there anyways, you know, because obviously you got to walk before you run. But, yeah, I had older cousins and stuff that would be listening to, the, you know, Master of Puppets or, you know, stuff like that. So I was relatively young when that stuff came out, probably 10, 11, around that time, maybe. So, yeah, once we started hearing the Metallica or the Sepulturas and this and that, you know, it just all leads into one thing and it snowballs down from there. So, you know, probably I probably only did a good five years, maybe with the classic rock stuff and the shit my dad was into. I'm a big Zappa guy. So a lot of my early days was Zappa or Van Halen or, you know, a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan, a lot of blues stuff. Cause things look like that, you know, kind of just dabble in a little bit of everything. But yeah, I mean, once by the time I was 10 or 11, you know, I wanted to start, I was getting curious about the faster stuff. And then obviously that snowballed into, you know, morbid angel or death or, suffocation cannibal all that stuff you know because they were all pretty much around the same time so everybody's yeah. chasing tails you know 
Yeah, that big that big '90s death metal gold rush. I like to call it. Oh man, yeah, Florida, unbelievable brutality and all mm. the stuff that's down there. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Well, Dwayne, and Dwayne, that this part, by the way, I, nothing is live, as you know. I can always edit this out. Something I neglected to ask you before we started, um, like anybody who, who does work under um, a stage name, so to speak, do you mind if I ask you about your time under the name Cryptic Winter and about working with Judas Iscariot? Oh, not at all. Okay, well, because that seems to come on in the late 90s. I don't. There's not much to, to look up by you before that. Um, yeah, a lot of that is by design. It's supposed to be, you know, mysterious. Well, I was in Sarcophagus before I did Judas Iscariot. Sarcophagus was kind of my most, my first, I guess, semi-pro or pro band, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, if I got it right, you actually did uh, two albums with them, 1998's Requiem to the Death of Passion and in 2001 From the Rune of Paradise. Yep. Um, that their sarcophagus is known as a fairly cult U.S. kind of black death metal band. I don't know if you want to take it from here and maybe give you a recollection of working with them at a young age. Um, well, yeah, I mean, kind of, you know, we were close with a lot of the bands from around here. I mean, Milwaukee is very interesting when it comes to the bands that are around here. Like most of the guys, they kind of don't hang out around each other, you know, huh. So a lot of my time when I started getting into it, so basically going from the cover band stuff, and then I wasted a bunch of years jamming with friends, and it was just jamming pretty much because we weren't really trying to do anything. And then when we did start getting to doing something, it was kind of like a reality of, well, if I want to be successful at this, it's not going to happen here type thing. So at the same time, we were hanging around a bunch of the Chicago guys, so Broken Hope, Oppressor, Jungle Rot, you know, kind of, we would click up and we would kind of kick it every weekend, basically. So through those guys, I ended up getting the sarcophagus gig. And yeah, we did those two albums. We did a bunch of other, I mean, there's little random things here and there, splits. And we got a few demos that we did or just like a, some underground cassette stuff that we did. And, and then eventually, yeah, that turned into our guy. He was experimenting. I mean, he was already in the midst of doing this so sarcophagus the judas iscariot stuff is basically or it ultimately turned into half of sarcophagus so two of us from sarcophagus was doing his what started as a solo project and then after a while he got sick of doing the drums himself and he's like well i got you i may as well just get you to do these you know so yeah there was a whole transitional period with that stuff too so i mean whatever it was with that it was kind of the same thing we did I did like four or five of the albums and then a couple of same things, splits or little EPs or some things turned into other projects. You know, certain sessions would turn into completely different projects. And, you know, we're playing with all kinds of guys. What we got, which branch into a couple different bands too, I should say. Well, yeah, I mean, looking back, like your, your metal archives, you know, shout to metal archives. They're a big resource for what we do on the show here. Um, but yeah. you're, you know, your 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 list goes on and on. There's a few here, like um, I would, oh, a lot of that's incomplete too. But that's my old boy Rob Spizak. Shout out to Robbie. He's <laughs> well, the one that yeah, he hooks that up, man. Well, well was Forest of Impaled something that kind of jumped off from that crew? Uh, it, essential kind of. I mean, they were around at the same time Sarcophagus was. But again, I mean, yeah, we played with a lot of more different bands. We again, we didn't, you know, it's, it's weird how these scenes work, and 
guys not doing things together. If we did something together, it would be like a festival or something. But uh, ultimately, we ended up getting a deal with Don Decker from Anal Blast. Mm -hmm. And he put out both bands and he raved about both bands. I mean, we owe Don a lot because, yeah, he once our original guy, we were on Pulverizer for a while. And then once Randy died, Decker took us under his wing and kind of started putting things out. Forest of Impale at the same time was doing it. So in a sense, we were label mates for a while. So kind of when the sarcophagus thing kind of fizzled out on account of all the other side projects and not to mention our guy, Harris was living over in Germany at the time. So that kind of made things very difficult for us to do things here in the area. So basically, yeah, when things kind of started to fizzle for sarcophagus, that's when I made the jump over to Forest of Impaled. And then I ended up getting Marcus in there for one of the albums. And so again, we had half of the sarcophagus in that band for a brief period of time. And, then yeah, we did another album with uh, one of the guys from Dissenter. So yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's been the, busy. There's a lot, there's a lot there, man. Yeah, there's a few a few highlights I wanted to go over with you. But working with Judas's Carry It, um, I mean nowadays you look back, it's become kind of like a cult, uh, like it's, like very well respected and par- pardon me. It's insanity. Yeah, I, I probably hear more about that nowadays than I did back when I was doing it, you know? I mean, it was it was highly revered back then, and, and then all the projects that it led to, because, I mean, through that, I started doing Krieg. I did a couple albums with Krieg, and I did a couple albums with, uh, you know, we did a project with the guy, Ash from Nargaroth. Um, yeah, it just it snowballed into a bunch of things, you know, and then the Forest of Impaled stuff, that stuff speaks for itself. I mean, that shit's probably some of the most amazing stuff I think I've ever done. It, it's <laughs> I recommend it for the listeners. That's um, Forest of Impaled 2003's Forward the Spears and 2007 yeah. Rise and Conquer. If I got yeah. it right. Um, and we're going to go on. I got some more notes about some other stuff you did into the more de- death metal direction. But I'd like to shift gears um, back to Brian for a minute. Um, uh, just like I said, I want to get both of you guys' stories in there while I have you. So oh, yeah. um, I pre- appreciate Dwayne. And Brian, we kind of left off with you um, doing the Perception Blur demo in 89. Um, we know you guys do the execution demo in 1990 and Barry Yeager replaces Jeff Yeager on drums. It's, it says on metal archives, I believe it was that Jeff joins Mortiscold and we had Dave Greger of Mortiscold, um, in for interview a few months ago. And he, he, he credits you, Brian, I believe if I got it right with naming the band Mortiscold and giving him some tips on, on vocal delivery very early on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave, Dave and I had been friends for a while, and he would come to the Biogression practices, and he watched us kind of go from the band they were, and then, like you said, we recorded Perception Blur in '89, and three months later, we went back into the studio and recorded Execution because Perception Blur, it was, it just by the time we were done it. It seemed dated. It didn't seem heavy. It didn't. We have a pattern of that too. It, it, it wasn't. I wasn't happy with it, and I really I pushed for it. And I'm like, look, what we're writing now just blows it away. And then we did the execution demo, and from there things took off for us. And then, like at right around that time when we were 
gearing up in that three-month period, even before that, because Dave would come to practice early on, too, once I joined. But he saw how we were we were kind of going from a like a possessed band, like a thrash band, into something that was a lot darker and more heavy. And he was really into that. He really liked what we were doing. So he kind of wanted to do the same thing. And at the time, his band was called, um, what was their name? Delayed Stress. <laughs> and they were kind of this punk band. And, and, and I got it. I mean, Dave didn't sing or anything at the time. He just played guitar. But he he wanted to, like, kind of go from that into heavier. And so we were friends and he's like, Hey, come up with a list of names for me. So I came up with all these names and two of them were these, I don't know. It's some Celtic story, like the three witches and Shakespeare and two of the witches, one was named Morta, one was named Skald. And I cannot remember the name of the third one, but they were on my list and they were right after each other. And I said, Morta, Skald. And he's like, that's cool. I'm like, Morta, Skald? He goes, I'm like, yeah, that's original. Nobody's going to have that name. He's like, yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, that was that was it. I still have the list, I think, that I wrote out for him that day somewhere. It's in a notebook somewhere. But, yeah. And then, um, yeah, like I said, they, were, they wanted to – now that they were mortis called, they wanted to go heavier. And they were, they, at the time they had this singer uh, named, uh, wasn't Jesse. I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you. It was, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, they had this singer and Dave wanted to start singing. Dave's like, oh, oh I could do that. You know, but he was playing guitar too. I'm like, dude, you never sang before. Are you sure? He's like, yeah. So when they went into the studio and they did the gory departure demo, I went with them. And I stood next to them and we sang the songs together. Like, you know, we would just go over them and over them. And yeah, and I mean, that's that's why I'm on the demo. It's because, you know, I was kind of helping them out, getting them going. But coach. Yeah, hey, you know, but. Put me in, coach. <laughs> it was fun. Well, it's an interesting story, um, you know, this day and age for, for metalheads going back and listening to, like, these older albums and classic material to kind of get, get the lore. That's why I ask. Um, and an another thing that I wanted to ask in this time period, there's a few other names that come up, one of which, um, please correct me, is, is is the man's name Eric Grafe? Yeah, Grafe, yep. Yeah, Eric yeah. Grafe. Uh, rest in peace, and I... I I know that I, he, he's credited with some sort of vocal appearance, I believe, on your Devils demo in 90. Um, but is, is, it's my understanding that he also played maybe a little bit of a, a greater role in promoting and helping Bioaggression at some point? Yeah, he, he, he came on as our manager. Um, we had recorded Perception Blur with him. And when we, when we got done, I kind of went to him and I said, look, I, I'm not happy. I, I want to – there's another demo I want to do. So we went back in with him three months later, and when he heard the execution demo, he kind of he got really involved with us and started pushing us and started chopping our demo around. It was a different world back then with labels. And 
he's he got some interest and we went in to do we went in to do a uh, another demo because um execution originally had jeff yeager on drums and when we fired jeff in may then all of a sudden we had barry and barry was a different drummer so we could do things different so we wanted to go in and we we wanted to have barry something with barry on it and when we did the devil's demo we got signed right away i mean they signed us to a five album deal right off the bat and we're like whoa you, you know so yeah i mean then the devil's demo just kind of got sucked into expounding exhort we i mean I don't. Th- I think we did one or two shows, and we sold everything. Like I, I don't even have a devil's demo. <laughs> you know, we don't have anything left of it. Well, uh, Eric Grafe, just for the listeners too, that he's rest in peace. I know he he just passed away in the last um few years. Uh, no, last year, yeah, yeah, last year. He's it's, it's been almost a year, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyone who's watched these documentaries on Chuck from Death um, is probably familiar. Eric Grafe was a longtime manager um, and and promoter in death metal history, um, particularly with Death, but as we know, you know, with with other bands such as uh, yourself. Um, well, he was partly responsible for Milwaukee Metal Fest too. Let's not forget that he uh, he had the first- he also worked with Mortiscope Death. I mean, the list goes on with that guy. He obituary most recently. He was obituary's mm. manager up until he died. Wow. He was um, he had the first death metal festival in this country. We did Day of Death, and that was with Death and Cynic. Yeah, yeah. It was Cynic, Atheist. Immolation, which that led into the human era, you know. So yeah, he was he was responsible for a lot of stuff here locally, especially because I mean his office was here. He was based out of Milwaukee, so he was okay. Yeah, because originally, pe- because yeah, people. He was originally from Canada, and okay. this is an odd story, but he managed Motley Crue for a while, and there was some giant fallout with that, and then. He ended up in Milwaukee, and he he kind of made all of us really. Yeah. Well, may, may he rest in peace. I'm glad to get a little bit of that story. Um, uh, and you know, I, something I kind of neglected to ask you guys before was about Milwaukee back in the day because I've always been fascinated. Milwaukee seems to have been its own scene, the same way we have like the people talk about the New York scene, the Florida scene, and so on and so forth. I've always said there was a Milwaukee scene with this kind of very doomy, gloomy uh, version of death metal, yourselves and, and certain other bands. Um, it's the weather. Well, I was going to ask that, man, because you know <laughs> people say that about black metal in Norway, right? Like we could say that about death metal in different regions of the states here. Could could you maybe talk to what it was like? You say Eric Grafe moves to Milwaukee and starts working out of Milwaukee as a metal promoter and Milwaukee Metal Fest. For well, the- he was actually he was actually management. That was his key title was he was manager. Okay, but uh, he was also a, a, an attorney, so he had a law office here. So he originally was tur- attorney turned manager. And then talent buyer eventually, and, you know, he pretty much stuck at the management game most of his life, you know? 
Okay, and and just for the listener, maybe some of the younger listeners, um, shout in respect to Maryland Death Fest, who just had um, what may be their last Death Fest this past weekend. Um, Milwaukee Metal Fest back in the 90s kind of was, in my opinion, the blueprint the for, pinnacle. For, it was the- for what these regional Death Fests are nowadays. It was it was the innovator. They were the innovator of it. Yeah. yeah, basically, you know, aside from the day of death, which go predates that, mm-hmm. you know, and then we had another one that was something. And it wasn't like the Monsters of Rock, but it wasn't Monsters of Rock. But it was like all those bands, Van Halen and shit, and you know, bands of that caliber was another one, and that predated the Milwaukee Metal Fest. And then Koshik started doing Milwaukee Metal Fest. Yes, yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. I mean, hopefully, Maryland takes their year off and they bounce back because here our scene like i said nowadays it's it's hard because bands i mean we're older now and we try to mingle with a lot of the younger cats from around here but back in those days you know we hung around guys but it was mainly you know it was us and the chicago guys like i said oppressor broken hope mortis called us which <coughs> kind of at the time vibration was on hiatus at the time so you know, but predating that stuff. I mean, so my point about the Maryland Death Fest is, is it losing Milwaukee Metal Fest totally changed the entire scope of the scene here. Mm. Like that basically would keep us going. You know, everybody had something to look forward to because nine times out of ten, you were gonna play Milwaukee Metal Fest because <laughs> he would throw fifty bands on there. And you know, if you're just a young artist or you're just breaking out, you know, there was opportunity there for you to at least get in front of a couple hundred heads and warm bands up. You know. But yeah, losing that was detrimental to us here. It just totally changed our scene. I mean, a lot of the shows pass us up now. You know, where the bigger tours and the bigger packages won't even come through here anymore. I mean, it, we've taken a huge hit losing that festival. So hopefully, yeah, the same thing doesn't happen to Maryland. I hope Evan and them get it sorted out and they bounce back and get to doing their thing again. Because, I mean, they've been doing it right for a lot of years now, you know? Yeah, 100%, man. Um, that's that's interesting, unfortunate what you say, but interesting to know that insight into it. And um, I, I was fortunate. I was 18 years old. I got to go to the 2000 Milwaukee Metal Fest, which I think was yeah, one of, one of the one. last ones. I played that one. What band were you in there? I want to say that was either... It was probably Sarcophagus, actually. I want to say, yeah, it was Sarcophagus. Okay. Um, and, and Dwayne, let me, that was the one, uh, Dragon Lord played and who else played that one? I think Mayhem might've been there. Violence. I want to say Misfits played for like nobody in that big ass room. That big room. And I, I remember there was a whole United guttural room with all the sick, brutal death metal bands from the era. Yeah. That was kind of, there's there's another one I'm leaving out. Flesh grind. That's another one we were really close with because those guys, I mean, you know, the broken hope flesh grind crews, they are like basically 30 40 minutes from us yeah we we had um uh, the guitarist of flesh grinds that's steve steve murray yeah steve man. murray yeah we had him on a few months ago he was a great Hell guest yeah. Dude, yeah he's awesome man he gave us the whole breakdown of, of flesh grind um Dwayne, let me ask you this as we're talking right now because metal archives is great but every once in a while they're they're a little off how far back yeah. exactly do you go with Viogression? had you jammed with the band or, or been around the the crew of musicians prior to 2014 well oddly enough like we were talking about earlier when we were in our coming up days i knew of Viogression back when i was in you know basically when they were doing the demos and expound i was probably in the eighth grade 
Okay. So, you know, I knew of them back then. But yeah, again, like I said, I had my little journey. I started out in Chicago, which led to Florida, which led to Maryland and Texas. And I was down there for about 12 years. So it wasn't until I came back, which I moved back up here from Texas. And that's when these guys got a hold of me shortly after that. Because, you know, people started asking around town, well, hey, I'm looking for a guy. Who should I talk to? Nine times out of ten, my name will come up, you know. Apparently. If I'm looking, well, looking at this guy up. Yeah. So yeah, Dave Gregor brought you up. So, yeah, I've been with these guys since 2014 now. So Oh, God. God. Well, just, yeah, just because you, you have a lot of history um, even though you don't necessarily officially, um, you know, join the band till then. But before, before we jump ahead, something else that happened back, you know, we talked about Eric Grafe and, and that kind of 1990-91 era and, and what he does for the band. Something else I found interesting, and for the listeners, if they're fans of Cynic, um, yes. the yes. Euroboric Forms demo collection was released um, in the last few years, and the two very last tracks on that demo collection's if I, if I got it right, the two final tracks on the demo collection of Cynic are actually your audition tapes with Brian Deneff of Viogression on vocals from 1991. That is correct. Yep. Well, yeah. Could, yep. could you give us a little context of, of that, of how you, first of all, those guys are in Florida. There should be one floating around with three you know? tracks, actually. Uh, uh, so, you did three of the tracks. So, yeah, well, for the listeners, that's something to go back and look for. It's a very, like I said, interesting lore as we study all this old school death metal. But tell us how you come to um, get in touch with, like, I would imagine Sean Reinert and Paul Masvidal and those guys. Is it through Eric Grafe or is there, like, what's the connection? Oh, no, that was 91. They toured together yeah. with on the spiritual or a human tour with death. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Viogression was warm up act for, for death on the 91 human tour. And Sean and Paul liked my vocals and... When Paul came back from the human tour and they got back from Europe and they finally got their equipment back from Europe and they could start practicing again, um, Paul had gone to the doctor and the doctor said, you can't sing like that anymore. Oh. You, can't, you can't do that anymore. So they needed somebody to do the brutals and they're like, you want to do them? So I, of course, wanted to do them. So I did a tryout he sent me you know scott burns put and they burned it from scott and then they sent me a disc which is the music and they're like okay sing to this and paul said but you don't have to sing all death metal he's like do weird vocals and you know maybe do some singing to you know mix it up and i think he was it was slow it was the beginning of him kind of moving away from like all brutal vocals doing the synth more stuff the synth stuff right and yeah and that's the computer voice kind of came out of that want of experimentation and then yeah i mean well the rest is like history i mean when focus came out they perfected it grafe however was inadvertently responsible for that because he booked the tour you know so he does have a hand in that operation but it wasn't like Hey, these guys are looking for a singer. You want to do it? You know that was a direct result of the tour. You know, right, right. So this just interesting to know how it all comes together. And like I said, that's kind of a cool sidebar for the listeners who like going. Well, you got to remember, at that time, it was a small world. It was there weren't wasn't three thousand bands back then. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah mean, small, smaller pool. Yeah, right, yeah. right. 
I mean, and, and that's how we could sum Milwaukee up right now. I mean, going back to that question, I mean, that's the, the pool here is shallow. Let's put it that way. Mm. I mean, nine times out of ten, when we got to recruit guys, we're doing the same thing now and recruiting guys from out of town, you know? Well, bouncing back to you, Dwayne, for a minute then, because I do want the listeners to be aware of some of your your history here. Um, Does that speak to why you end up in Divine Empire um, for two albums, uh, 2003's Nostradamus, 2005's Method of Execution, um, Divine Empire, um, kind of like a legacy Florida death metal band um, that most people yes. are familiar with. Yeah, Melvin Creation Boys. Uh, well, let's see. Um, so right around then, I want to say it was that 2000 Metal Fest that we were talking about. Mm. So Macabre's manager, Rodney Pollock, good buddy of ours, another one that we like to hang around with. So, you know, shout out to him. Uh, Alex Marquez was jamming with Divine Empire at the time. I was doing the sarcophagus, broken hope thing. So I had done broken hope right after that, toured with them. And then uh, they kind of fizzled out. It was kind of, they did their little last hoorah thing at the time Hmm. before most of the original band bowed out, you know? So I was looking for something steady and I ran into Jason Blackowitz. He had come up. I think he was just hanging out at the fest or whatever. And, Rodney introduced us, and I basically shook his hand and said, hey, I'm your next drummer. And, yeah, the rest of that was history. So I went down to Florida, did a little tryouts, and got the gig. Yeah, I was with them for about five years, somewhere in there. A couple albums, we did a bunch of touring. I was going to say the early 2000s, they were touring pretty heavy, no? We did a lot. Yeah, we did a lot of kick-ass tours, too. I mean, we were going out with, like, Testament and shit. Wow. Went down to South America a couple times, and, yeah, we were in Europe a bunch. I mean, we did countless, you know, fetus and skinless, and we'd be out with those guys a lot. Kind of pre-Origin stuff. So Origin was kind of just getting their start. But Misery Index, we went out with them a couple times in their early days. Which was interesting, having the Misery Index and Fetus tour on the same tour, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can It was imagine. very interesting. No, we got yeah. to see some cool stuff on that. Because, yeah, the yeah. Fetus guy at the time, Vince Matthews, couldn't get into Canada. So Netherton took over on vocals for... So we basically got to see the original Fetus in Canada because one guy couldn't show go up there, you know? Th- those guys have always uh, been very um, respectful publicly, um, regardless of whatever split occurred. Uh, we're all adults, man. You know, that's the thing. You know, business is business and things happen. And, you know, sometimes people gravitate towards different directions and that's just kind of how things go. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of people don't understand that when once you get to a certain level, this is a business. I mean, you we spend just as much time doing this as we would work in, you know? Yeah. So well, it's, it's always something. So, yeah, my thing is just to grind it out. You know, if someone's looking for somebody nine times out of ten, I mean, the more... Per- proactive or productive they are the more i want to be a part of it you know well well does that speak to then how um after working with divine empire you wind up uh performing drums for dying fetus and recording on their 2007 album war of attrition that's right and that was a result i mean again fetus back in the day going back to sarcophagus we were all label mates in the late 90s right? yeah. and early 2000s. So us, Flesh Grind, Mortal Decay, 
Yeah. Uh, who else was on there? Jungle Rod was originally on there. I mean, you know, so we were all label mates at the time. We kind of solidified our friendship from that. We would go to all their shows anytime they were in town, whatever, you know. Because, I mean, when I was doing the black metal stuff, I was into, like, Cryptopsy and all this weird stuff. I wasn't actually a a black metal guy, per se, you know. Those guys kind of, like, beat it into me and kind of got me to learn everything. And that's when I really started getting into it was when I started playing it. But by trade, I guess, you know, I went from thrash to death metal and it just evolved. So, you know, I like to... I like to taste a little bit of everything, but yeah, the fetus thing was a result of us touring together and just knowing each other for years and years and years. They needed somebody and I, I stepped up to the plate, you know? All right, man. Um, any memorable experience? Did you do much touring with them or was it just kind of oh, like yeah. the, oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. We went out with cannibal and necrophagist and wow. Okay. Europe a couple times. Uh, I went to South America with them. Yeah, we were all over the place. We did a full Canadian tour, coast to coast. We spent like a month up there. It was the most craziest thing. Because we did a month in Europe, and then we came back here. We were in the States for like a day or two. We got had enough time to hit the bank and then go to Canada. Huh. Wow, a lot of driving with Canada. Ridiculous. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, crazy hell rides. Wow, so... All right, man. That, interesting. So just again for the listeners, if you want to hear some of Dwayne's work, that's Divine Empire's Nostradamus and Methods of Execution album. Uh, and that's Di- the one that needs to love. Method of Execution is probably, that's up there with one of my favorites. Probably next to the Forward to Spears, that's, it's a tough call between those two. Those are probably the most two most ridiculous albums I've ever done. Uh, well, yeah, and and also War of Attrition by Dying Fetus. Just for people, there's a lot of people listening who who might even own that album, but not realize. Oh, they know it. They you know, know it. I hear about that one every other day. <laughs> oh yeah, I still hear about it. So, okay, so um, Brian, uh, shifting gears, I want to catch us up to speed with Viogression a little bit because we barely covered Expound and Exhort. I wanted to get that Eric Grafe, um talk and that Cynic talk out of the way. That's interesting stuff to me. But let's talk um, the classic 1991 album, Expound and Exhort, on Tombstone Records. Um, what, like, you know, take take me back there, because like you said, this, this was, you know, be like pre-internet age. Like, what did that do for the band? Can you take us through, like, when you actually got the album in oh. your hand and any support of the touring that might have been done? Well, I mean... All of a sudden, we had a budget, and we could go to a studio. So we picked a studio on northern Milwaukee. Um, it was a 16-track studio. It wasn't even 24-track. And But we really liked the engineer, Patrick Cunningham. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, Expound was um, – all we wanted to do is we wanted to make – the heaviest album we could we wanted it to be as heavy as it could that's that was the whole goal of the album was like we wanted to be as heavy but i mean we had heard every we were fans of everything coming out of florida we loved death metal in general i mean pestilence it, uh, you know consuming impulse i mean those, autopsy yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on, and we were fans of it all, and we just wanted to do our thing. So, yeah, I mean, when Expound came out, we were already on tour. We had been on tour with Death for two weeks by the time the album actually came out. And 
Yeah, hey, uh, it was exciting, uh, you know. The key there is that you, you're, for your listeners, obituary was not said at all. <laughs> no, I loved obituary. I, I loved obituary since Metal Fest 3 when they first came up for Slowly We Rot. And they were, you know. We get compared to them a lot. I, I always <laughs> love that. They're awesome bands. So just, just to clear that up, I mean, you know. I know the obituary guys pretty well, and we always laugh about it, you know. Oh, yeah, they say you guys sound like obituary, and everyone's going, well, how? I mean, vocally, and even them, they'll be like, no, man, it doesn't even sound vocally. Yeah, we had uh, Trevor from obituary on, on our program a while a back boy. Oh, yeah. T-Bone. Nice guy, man. Nice guy. You're, Dude, he's, a, he's, yeah, a, he's, he's rad as hell, man. Real down-to-earth guy for, for um such a big band. No, doesn't have much of an ego, man. Real cool guy. Yeah, we're we're just, we're, we're, you know, clowns, man. We're just song makers, man. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, to, nothing to get your head all blown up over, man. You know, I mean, we beat ourselves to death. And, we're, yeah, we're just, it's a traveling circus, man. You can't, you can only take it so serious, you know? I like that attitude, man. Yeah, um, definitely, and and uh, maybe maybe that's a good attitude to have as we push forward. Because Brian, um, I do want to ask you. You know, now obviously it, it it has been documented that the album Passage, your second album, it's it's an unfinished version that's been released yeah. that's out there all these years. Even today, when people look up the Viogression album Passage, they're listening to an uncompleted mix, right? Correct. Yep. I, I mean, yeah. Could you just explain exactly what happened? All right. We went in when we couldn't go to Europe with that. We wanted to do something. So the passage was ready and we wanted to record. So we went in and Brian Griffin from Broken Hope engineered it. And the whole intent was, is when Eric got back from Europe with death on the tour, he was going to mix it. Well, by the time Eric got back from tour, the studio or something went into bankruptcy and there was all kinds of trouble. Anyway, long story short, the masters were gone. Ooh. So all we had was this tape and we, you know, how can you release that? Well, then I'll communicate the label we were on. That was the parent label of Tombstone. They... They ended up doing some deal with a company called Progressive and Progressive wanted to put the album out. And so they were just sent everything. And I can't remember his name. I want to say his name was Ken, but he would call me and he wanted me, you know, the layout, everything and the lyrics and everything that went with it. And so we got everything together. And he assured me that they were going to mix and master it and everything was going to get done. You know, so I'm assuming he has the masters to the album. And all they had was this cassette recording that was messed up in a lot of ways of it with scratch track guitars. And yeah, so I mean, so when it came out, we finally listened to it. We're like, Oh my God, this is the same as the tape I have. This isn't even the album. So it was a big disappointment, especially because we really, we were really into the songs. We, you know, we, we, 
we put a lot into that album. It's a long album for a death metal album at that time, you know? Yeah. That that must have been... I, I mean, you know, I've I've been in a few bands myself over the years, and I know if we got our CDs back from, from the label and it was like that, I, I, we would have been crushed. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, it was a crushing blow. I mean, it, it kind of dissolved the band. Huh. Wow, uh, bummer. And and you know, I say this now because um, I mentioned to you guys before. Passage is actually for me, and I'm sure you guys have, have heard stories from fans all the time that love Passage, and it's kind of like you cringe a little bit. Um, yeah, but- we we hear the expound one a lot the most. I mean, <laughs> we we really like the Passage stuff. Yeah, okay. we really. I mean, as far as the band, I mean, and even the guys that we have in the band now that. You know, we, we all like a lot of the passion stuff. We, we, we'll play a couple of those. We pull a couple out every now and then. That's great to know because be- I, I own all of the albums and the EP, but the um, I do prefer Passage over Expound Exhort, and maybe that's nostalgic for me because, like I said, when I was a teenager, it was one of the first death metal first al- what you got. Yeah, man. albums. You know, you can never go back to that stuff you heard um, as a teenager. And, right. And listening now, you can kind of hear, like, you know, it must have been a t- they, they're raising the volume here or there or there's something kind of missing here or there, but it's, it has a charm all its own. Um, we've actually we've made attempts to go in there and actually i went in and i polished a lot of that stuff up and got a lot of that stuff worked out we made a couple attempts to like re rework it and reintroduce it because this year is passages 30th year yeah yeah so we we kind of been planning and trying to do something to make something happen for that this year you know do like a cd reissue and a shirt combo but we've had a couple deals fall through on us and but well, we we actually have reworked versions of that album, so that's really interesting to hear. I would I would love to hear that. And um, I just I want to know a little bit about the the iconic cover art. Um, where did where did that come from? Uh, Gerald Brom. He worked at TSR Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, and that was in Lake Geneva at the time. And <laughs> when we wanted to do Passage, we wanted we wanted to get kind of a different feel. I mean, everybody was doing like the sea grave covers in Florida. And so we, we kind of went that direction, but we ended up talking to Gerald or Brom and he was just this awesome guy. And he's like, well, what do you, what do you want? And I'm like, well, and I described him what I wanted. And so that was at TSR and he gave us all this Dungeons and Dragons stuff. It was like being on tour, you know, like going in for a brewery tour and you get all these samples and everything. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, we were, we totally were nerding out on it. I mean, (laughs) and then he, it must've been like a month later. So he calls me and we, me and Brian drove down there and he had us come to his house and him and his wife lived in this, small nice little house and she had just had a baby and he took us up in this room and he has this like little bedroom and he painted it so i mean like passage he painted for us like it's a brahm original you know but yeah he painted that for us wow and then um when we got well that leads into the ep because that's brahm as well it's when since we used Brahm on Passage, you know, back in 92, we're like, 
when we got back together, we were thinking about doing the EP. I ended up hitting him up, and it's like Hank Hill. He's got a guy, and he <laughs> likes to go with that guy, man. Yeah, I, I try to get him away from that all the time. But yeah, if it works the first time, he likes to just keep doing it, you know. That's awesome that he was still around to do that. That's great. Oh, yeah, he was way into it, too. And he he gave us uh, a bunch of stuff that he had already drawn. He's like, any one of these, you know, is fine with me. And so we picked that cover. And, yeah. Wow, man. That's really cool. One of my favorite album covers uh, passed. Not to nerd out on you guys too much, man, but it's really cool getting the insight and behind-the-scenes stuff there. Yeah, Um, I I actually, I, I, I bought the painting off of him, but I haven't paid him all the money yet. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it was years ago when we were talking about doing the cover for the EP, and I had sent him, I think, like three hundred bucks of it or something. And but I'm gonna have the original painting of Passage eventually. That's awesome. He still has it, right? <laughs> it's been years. Probably sold at auction for like no, two mil. I, I, knowing him, he still has it. Wow, man! Wow. Well, shout to him. That's cool, man. Um, yeah, great pieces, man. Both of them. Yeah, yeah, and 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 very different both of them too, man. It's cool. Notes from the same guy. That's what we like. That's yeah. that's all by design, man. We like to be different. Yeah, well, well, so so something different now. Um, if I could just ask now, just to kind of close up, maybe that era. Um, we talked about passage, and you you mentioned that in a way it almost kind of led to the band. Um, breaking a hiatus, basically a, hi- a hiatus, we'll call it. But I know in the in the interim around '94, there's the band Medusa Oblongata, um, yeah. with a self titled '95 album on Meg- Megalithic Records. And Brian, that's you with um, most of the guys who were who performed on Passage in Viogression, right? Yeah, Brian and Barry, and yeah. Um, when we got back from the Expound tour with Death, um, Leon kind of came to me and he said like this isn't for him he's like man i just i just want to be home with my girl and you know i just joined a band to get chicks and you know <laughs> he, he didn't really ever expect to like you know be gone for a couple months on end and he, it wasn't his deal so not everybody realizes the reality of this that's the problem and yeah so leon got at home and basically quit um and we ended up getting a guitar player from California. He was a friend of a friend and he moved here and immediately started working on passage. And that's Dave Haley. And when Dave came and after passage was released and things started, you know, it, it was just a biogression was after that album came out, it, it was a low point for everybody. And well, Medusa kind of came out of that. Like we wanted to still make music and we had ideas and we wanted to do stuff, but it was, it was branching off into different directions. It was Viogression's portal. What, or, you know, what cynic was the portal. (laughs) Medusa Avogadro was Viogression's portal, basically. Well, it's interesting stuff to check out because it's kind of, it's very musical. Like it sounds like a technical, um, progressive death metal band, like with, like within the form of an industrial band or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. We were into a lot of different music and still are. Yeah, we just it just kind of came out that way. We wanted to do something different, but we wanted it to be heavy. Um, 
And yeah, yeah, I mean, it wasn't really, wasn't really planned or thought about. It was just like, Hey, I know a guy that plays sax. That would be cool. So all of a sudden we had a sax player and you know, it, it just kind of snowballed like that. Looking back at the history, it's interesting to have that too. Just like I said, with all these little like like the cynic um, uh, audition tape you made, it's like it's cool to have all this stuff um, in the history uh, to check out in context. But now, um, I, I want to talk about 2014 uh, or about uh, about um, uh, the the band coming back for the EP. But maybe I don't know if you just want to comment between Medusa Oblongata and Viogression coming back to life, so to speak, was there anything else you were involved in musically or any other ventures that you w- that you want to speak of? Nothing outside of life and children. Well, Brian's I, a breeder. I didn't <laughs> I didn't really stop making music. Medusa Avangada kind of went in a really electronical direction and we started like writing like video game music and huh. Dave was Dave was schooled and he's kind of a studio head so we would be recording something all the time like and we worked on, i know we worked on like a three song demo for like a year and just over and over and over again we'd build these huge songs i mean some of the songs would be like 10 minutes long but they were more on an electronic side they were more trancey um they were still heavy though um yeah, it was just, it was weird. We got real experimental and we never really did anything with it. I mean, we did, the video game, I think, fizzled out at the end, but we had written all the music, did sound effects and stuff, but, you know. All right, so well, <laughs> well, I, well, fair enough. Um, and just one thing before we get into... Um, uh, the kind of like like the 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 newer era of Viogression. Something I, I had to. I have to first of all. I want to shout out the band Invidiosis, if I pronounce yeah. their name right. Um, their yeah. album Malignant Universe. Yeah, I, I actually own and have been a fan of because um, an old a band I used to be in many years ago played out in. Uh, I think they're from Chicago. Um, uh, Invidiosis. If I got that no, right. No, no, they're from uh, St. Paul, basically. Okay, so the all right, you um uh, yeah, they're they're Minneapolis in the Twin Cities. My mistake. Okay, yeah, that that's right, that's right. They are. So I had I had owned Malignant Universe since it was like a practically a new album, and Wait. never never realized you know I didn't realize obviously till I was doing the research I'd be speaking to the the drummer who performed on that. Could you just talk a little bit about that, and then I assume fairly quickly after that is when you kind of joined uh, Viogression, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say I was already doing Viogression actually at the time. And then those guys, I was doing another band out in Minneapolis, which is kind of was a continuation of a bunch of old anal blast guys, because I did that for a, several years as well. When I was doing the Divine Empire stuff, I was also playing with the anal blast. So, you know, whoever was, you know, we were booking tours on top of tours, basically. If I wasn't out with Divine wow. Empire, I was out with anal blast. Okay. So, so uh, rest in peace to Don Decker. I'm sorry. Let me stop oh, you right there. because That's my guy, man. With Anal Blast, if people don't realize, that's the the kind of death grind band that infamously, allegedly, Joey Jordanson of Slipknot, rest in peace, performed in at one point, right? Both Joe and Paul were the original guys. Okay. 
Right. So did you come in after Joey and did you perform? Oh, long after him. Yeah. Okay. Actually, yeah. 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 Are you I, on that, I, that CD? No, no. That's okay. uh, Nick Miller. Right. 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 Okay. Okay. So Nick Miller, he kind of got his little claim that he was in the original Sick, which Slipknot took. But yeah, he was in the original version of Sick. And then uh, he went to Cataclysm for a while. Oh my God! Don't get me started, man. Those those Cataclysm um, albums uh, the, with the Emily with... Knowledge was his man, and oh, oof, dude, oof. that is that is their best album ever. We would love to so, talk yeah. to uh, to to Nick eventually one day too, man. But he's around, man. He's around. Um, may, maybe I'll ask you for some for for uh, um some information later. But while I got you here. Um, yeah, maybe just, uh, like, like, first of all, I don't know if you have any other recollections on, on Anal Blast and on working with those guys and, and that, that history, but also oh, t- tons, take- tons, man, tons. Oh, man, I could go on for days about that band. <laughs> every, every day it was something with those guys. I mean, literally, when I talk about traveling circuses, man, we were the kings of the traveling circus. But, uh, you know, ultimately, again, yeah, like I said, so moving past those guys like we i was doing another thing called nailed shut which was again remnants of the old anal blast guys because anal blast had i think at the end tally it was something like 74 members throughout its history or something wow it's something ridiculous like that you know you could be in the band for like two days and you'd get kicked out or something but yeah, it was definitely one of the longer running guys so guys from my era of anal blast we would do projects on the side and you know, there were a couple little things. I did a thing called Never Again, and then I ended up in the Nailed Shut stuff, which was guys who were at the very end of the Eno Blast before Don died. And then uh, that's kind of how I ended up doing the Inovidiosis stuff. Okay, so, that, that's a great yeah. album in Videosis Malignant Universe. That um, was a fun one to put together, actually. Yeah, I mean, it went together pretty quick. I sat on the demos for a while, got it all worked out, and then got the call like, hey, we're ready to record, and Went out there, we jammed a couple days, and bing, bang, boom, that's what we got. Really cool old-school suffocation vibe, in, in my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. well, there, there's talks of us actually getting together and doing another one here soon. Oh, uh, yeah, what what's the guy's name? Is it Todd? Todd Farnham. Yeah, he's that's not right. in here anymore. Okay, yeah, it's been a while, so I, I haven't kept up with those guys over the years, but shout out to them and um the for the listeners. That's yeah, something. Hey, actually, the guitar player... Kevin Alter, we just took him out with us on the road. The last little East Coast run that we just did, he was out doing guitars for us. Huh. Well, so let, let's let's transition then, because I want to talk about this new era. And the first work you're credited with for Viogression is the A Pure Formality EP in 2014. Yep. So ha- that's where I first came in. So basically, that got recorded. It got. I was in there. Now a different drummer played on that. Eric Scholtek. So oh, okay. he he did it, and then they, got, then they got booked for a festival, and they needed a drummer. And Eric pulled out on it, and that's kind of when my name came up. Yep. And I got in there, and from that point on, you know, then the CDs came out. So I was kind of in there in that transition period. We did a CD run and a cassette run, and then we did the festival, and it went well, and it turned into, oh, well, maybe we want to keep doing this, you know? And then from there, we just kept doing more things and been through a couple lineup changes now because of, you know, life problems and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But, yeah, we put a shit ton of work into this last album and we're here now. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. And I want to talk a little bit about um, everything that went into uh, third stage of Decay, uh, which was released um, just about a, a month ago or so in 2022, your latest album. But um, Brian, maybe just give us your perspective. How did the band come back together in 2014 or a little bit earlier and get to that point where you put out a pure f formality? Uh, it, er, Eric came to visit. He was living in Canada at the time. And he came over to my house one night and we were... We, we hadn't seen each other in years, and we just started talking. We talked most of the night, and it came up, like, what if we what if we got together and we did this thing again? Brian and I had been – I had a home studio at the time, and we'd been just recording music, you know, screwing around. And some of the stuff kind of sounded like Biogrush, and then we, we just – we're like, hey, let's not end things on passage, you know, because it was, like I said, I mean, we were all really disappointed. You know, we'd put so much time and effort into passage and then to have it come out and not be what it was supposed to be was really disappointing to us. So we were like, man, if we could end on a different note. And I'm like, well, dude, some of these riffs sound like bioaggression. And he agreed. And we, we spent years, really. We spent... That was probably like 2002, 2003. I want to say we actually officially got back together like in 2004. Wow. And, wow. Yeah. And then we wrote, uh, we started recording, and that took years. Um, and by the time it was all done and mixed and ready in 2014, then we put it out. We weren't in any rush. We didn't have anything to prove. We just wanted it to be really good. We, you know, we wanted that. It was kind of like our our swan song. It was like, you know, we didn't really plan on going on. We just wanted it to, we didn't want Biogression to end on a bad note. Um, but then we ended up liking it. And we ended up liking what we were doing. And like when we brought Dwayne in and the festival went really well. We all started liking being around each other. Yeah, it, it just kind of like, hey, let's keep doing this. It, maybe we could write some more songs. And but then life hit us again, and smack! <laughs> so all 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 of you, you know, the original guys. So basically, out of the band, I'm the only I'm the only guy in the current lineup that has played with the original lineup. Basically, They're the original guys and those guys, you know, they all went through a series of things where. Their wives didn't like what they were doing and they went through divorces and you know that that was a huge setback for us too so it kind of put up me and brian back to square one so i had brian in my ear every day going dude i really want to do this we already started doing it i want to complete the task and let's do whatever we got to do to make this happen you know and so for this we we ended up recruiting jason hellman from mortis gold who obviously you know like going back earlier in the conversation has been a friend of both of ours for 20 plus years if not longer you know and then we snagged another you know we had another band in the area that kind of fell apart because we had our eye on a guy who we were trying to recruit in to be a second guitar guy for us because we had one of the old accidental suicide guys filling in on the second guitar stuff so we were trying to find a permanent guy when we had brian still would jaeger was still on guitar so we we kind of things fell apart with his other band we got him in a band and we got to work basically 
And that, that was that that's the lineup that we ended up with. And again, we had Jim Potter too. So we had two guitar players early on when we started the writing process for third stage. Jim Potter is also from Dr. Shrinker, who again within the older eighties and nineties scene, he was a big part of the scene back then. And everything came full circle, worked our asses off on this album and buckled down and got it done without, you know, taking years upon years, even though it did take us a few years because we got caught up in the COVID mess and mm. pandemic. Really, I mean, it, it's, it's been hurdle after hurdle for us really within, you know, the better part of the last decade for us. It's amazing to know that the band officially kind of got back together in the early 2000s like that, so long before pure formality. That was mainly just the Bryans, though, yeah, really, you know, yeah. and then everybody else kind of fell in after that stuff. You know, those guys were feeling it out, and, you know, trying to see what if they really wanted to do it. Because, you know, I mean, even back in the earlier days, you know, this band has been through a lot of adversities and, you know, little triumph. Let's put it that way, you know, like yeah. even currently, like we just, you know, so we get this album done and then we work out a deal with this guy in Russia. As soon as our CDs are about to come out, the Russia thing happens with Ukraine. And now all of a sudden our CDs are stuck over in Russia. And, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just been one thing after another for us. And we got to sit here and struggle with all these adversities and try to figure out, you know, how to keep moving forward, you know. Yeah, the bit and um, you mentioned the the labels. There was a collaboration, if I got it right, between Moribund, uh, Murder Records, Pest Records, and Dark United Media, and also um, Satanith, which was the original. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where it all started. He's the one that branched out, but he's the also the guy that was in Russia. So all of our CD, we got what about two thousand CDs sitting over in Russia right now that wow. nobody can touch or get to. And, Okay, so well, we wish you, um, we wish you guys the best with that situation. Hopefully, it, it, you, you it's can, getting worked out. Moribund basically yeah. stepped up and saved us a little late, but at the, nonetheless saved us. So yeah, big big props to Odin. Yeah, I mean he definitely saved the day. I mean it hurt us. We like I said, we just did a two week run out on the East Coast for the album, and we didn't even have the albums because of all this nonsense. Yeah. So we took a huge hit on that stuff, but ultimately, yeah, we got our CDs after a while, and it was on account of Moribund stepping up and, and basically grabbing the reins, you know? So, yeah, big, big thanks to Odin. Okay. Um, and I, I, I want to know if you want to talk a little bit about um, the recording of Third Stage of Decay. It's got a really cool sound to it. Um, it's got it's It's got something where it doesn't sound dated but it does sound has an old school kind of organic quality to it the drums are a little bit more like competitive with modern bands um but they're not you know it's not ultra triggered and, and just nothing but blast beats like a lot of bands now yeah, do no, a day. no triggers on it we did no triggers on this yeah it's it's got it's got a very cool sound and i noticed it's produced by chris wisco if i got his Is name right yeah man who, it's the same guy that did forward to spears man yeah, well, he's, I mean, people can go back and look this guy, Chris Wisco, up. He's a prolific death metal producer that's most likely produced some... Origin, Origin, Macabre, or a Dissenter, a Flesh Grind, you name Jungle it, Jungle Rod. Rod. I mean, everybody, yeah. he does everybody here. Gorgasm, yeah, I mean... Gordon's Gold, they just on. did their last one with him, because they were actually right behind us. We did our album, and then they were right in there right after us. Huh. 
Vermillion, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Origin. He did the first three, four, five albums at M. So, so what was it like going in to do third stage at Decay? To, to tell me a little bit about the process. Uh, you know, we just it took us a while to put the songs together, and I mean, everything that you described was all by design. You know, and early on, we focused a little too much on trying to sound like the older material. So we kind of overemphasized that stuff. But once we got into the studio, we had all everything ironed out. And by the time we actually made it into the studio, we were overly prepared. Yeah, we we had we had hashed everything out. We demoed everything a couple of times. And so, yeah, once we got in there, we it was no bit. You know, we were all about business, just getting in there and, and laying it down. Because, I mean, we're already sitting on almost two more albums We've got another one ready to go right now. And then we got, you know, we're already on newer material after that stuff. So we get into the studio, we get to record and we probably got the drums and the bass done and COVID hit. So we got shut down here for like two weeks. Our, our boy, Chris, shut the studio down. was like, man, I can't have anybody here. If I get busted, you know, that's the end of my operation, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, we were forced to sit on the sidelines for a couple of weeks due to that. And then finally we started getting back in there. But I mean, you know, once we were in there, it was all about the business and getting it done. Cause I mean, again, this is predates all the labels and stuff. So anything that we were doing there was coming out of our pockets. So we tried to get in there and be no nonsense about it. But yeah, we went to somebody reliable. I mean, we had the option to do like the new kids and, you know, like I said, we demoed it out a couple of times. We could have took one of the demos and just passed it off to somebody and said, here, fix it, you know, clean it up. But our guys weren't really into that idea. So between Matt and Jason, we ended up going with Chris, who we've all recorded with and known for many years. Like I said, he did Forest of Impaled, Krieg. I mean, a couple of the sarcophaguses, I probably did about four or five albums with him before we went in here and did this. So he was like the obvious choice for us. Huh. And not to mention where we currently practice, our studio is like right around the corner, 10 minutes from him. So it was super convenient in that aspect. Sounds like a no-brainer, man. Um, uh, definitely a good choice, and it's a, a solid listen. Um, I, I oh, wanna, did a great job. I, I, let's yeah. not leave out Dave Otero either because he mastered it, and he's, man, I would have loved to have done the whole thing with him. Like going out by him and actually recording, have him do the mix and the master, we would have got a whole different different results maybe next one who knows we'll see we got ideas well you say you got two albums written uh still yet to be recorded. we have one done and one is another one is in the works yeah we have enough material probably to fill a whole nother album yeah wow all right um so speaking of the future now you guys mentioned you just did a east coast run um are there any plans for playing live in the future anything booked that is what is in the works right now i mean the whole goal is to get the album done and then get out there and sell it. And I mean, the main goal from the beginning for us was to get out there and get back in there. You know, I mean, it just, at this point in time, it's got to make sense. We're trying to work with management to get a booking agent and have reliable contacts and sources and more opportunities pop up for us, you know, because the thing about it is, is a lot of people don't realize even we've been pretty fairly active since 2014, a lot of people don't realize we're still active. Yeah. So that's kind of been a big burden on us, you know, trying to get the word out and let people know that we're here and we're ready to do things. And, 
you know, the, the offers are slowly trickling in. The more news or press or, you know, again, more of helping us out a lot. Well, well, here's something I wanted to ask you guys about. You talk about getting the word out and things like that. Nowadays, there's a lot of static in the death metal scene and in underground metal because the scene is huge. There's tons of yeah, bands, yeah. tons no, of know, younger bands. All these festivals. And, yeah. yeah, we see it all. We see it. So I, I want to get your guys' perspective, because you guys are both old school guys. Um, you've been around the scene for a while. And, I mean, I mean, what, what do you, what's your take on death metal becoming this huge resurgence the last few years and all these young bands? And a lot of the older bands are kind of getting some hype. Do you guys see a little bit of that? Uh, we see a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we see a lot of that. I, you know, it, it goes back to the old phrase about everything comes full circle, you know? I mean, you look at the thrash resurgence a few years ago or, you know, uh, the death metal. Now everybody's back into the old school death metal stuff. So, I mean, and again, I mean, our style wasn't based upon those theories or philosophies. We're legitimate old school dudes who <laughs> have been doing old school metal since for 30 years now, you know? Yeah, it's kind so, of. I mean, yeah, no, 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 no. We get around. We hanging around a lot of guys. I mean, the skeletal remain dudes. I mean, those are good buds of ours and. Mortuous. Mortuous. Yeah, we just played with them out in Philly, you know, Castrator or, you know, Immolation, stuff like that. I mean, you know, I know they're big fans. My bud, Steve Shalady, he's digging the new album. He got one of the first copies before it came out, so. Okay, man. Yeah, I I just, because it's interesting hearing some of these legacy bands like yourselves um, still out there grinding nowadays, and it's like the scene has finally caught up. There's finally a bigger audience now. Uh, for death metal than there was for so many years. Um, it seems like we have a lot more to prove now than we did back when this shit was first starting, you know? Mm, mm. We got to work a little harder, it seems, because because of the oversaturation, of, you know? And going back to the Divine Empire days, we, hell, even back then, so 2004, 2003, whatever, you know, we always had the philosophy, man, we need more fans, less bands. Because, yeah, it just gets mucked up. And, I mean, there are some good bands out there, but there's a lot of riffraff, too, you know? Yeah, well, that's right. There's a lot of static you got to fight through now to get your band heard. It's like, in one way, it's like it's like it's easier for the underground demo-level bands to put their product out there, but it results in so much static to, to yeah, go through. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. and everybody's just dick-stopping each other. It's kind of like how, you know, this summer has been going with everybody back in full swing, you know, Oh, we're all going on tour all at the same time, you know? Yeah, all the tours getting in now. Everything's getting crazy now. Yeah, yeah. we just played in Brooklyn. We played against 200 Stab Wounds and Hypocrisy. All three shows in Brooklyn. Same that, night. Mm, same night. Mm, that's too much, man. See, yeah, you got to... Mm, it's it's tough when bands are competing with other death metal bands. I don't right. like that. Like, why didn't we just all play together if we're all in the same town? <laughs> right. What yeah. sense does that make, man? Why would you have three separate shows? Combine them. Put on a fest, you know? Yeah, especially death metal, man. You can't do... All right, all right. Yeah, that's 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 strange. I, yeah, we're talk- I mean, these are bigger bands, too. Like, you know, yeah. you, you got to have common sense there, man. Yeah, and vi- I mean, if, it, if it was three little local shows, it doesn't matter. I mean, either way, our show went well because you're in a town of 27 million people, you know? Yeah, I guess New York can, can support that, but still, it would make more sense. And Viogression had have everybody all together and not, yeah, stomping on each other, you know? Did Viogression ever play with hypocrisy through, throughout no, the years? Uh, no, but I have a couple times during festivals and stuff. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I imagine so with Divine Empire and, and Dying Fetus. Yeah, and that sort of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've done a couple of few festivals together and whatnot. It must be interesting because back when you were in Divine Empire and Dying Fetus, the, the big thing was metalcore and deathcore and the kind of scenester thing. And now death metal is full on back. Yeah, depending on where you were, those shows were really weird because we definitely we did some crossover shows and, and in Europe they were really weird. Like they didn't do very well with the death metal versus the new school, you know. They were definitely weird shows. Yeah, those guys were still not trying to cut their hair well into the two thousands and over there. No, in no, no. Or they had the swoops, the little eye thing. <laughs> yeah, the man. swoop cut, man. I was in a death metal band in the, from the late nineties, and by the by the two the early two thousands, uh, the drummer had fully changed into like the hipster haircut and the Wait, whole thing. The tight yeah. ass wife beater. Yeah, the whole thing, man. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a funny time, the early two thousands. I'm glad we're back to death metal being popular again. Um, oh yeah no doubt no doubt no doubt sure. well i mean you know you got bands like obituary going out with black label and yeah, you know it, yeah. it's getting a little more it's even slayer started dipping into it. slayer took out obituary you know so i mean kind of a lot of props to obituary they've been getting on you know they kind of been carrying the torch which again all leads back to eric Greif. yeah yeah man. he was he was the he was the you know kind of putting all that stuff together yeah, it's really interesting again to get that that behind the scenes stuff on on Eric Grave. Rest in peace. Um yeah. and you know, you guys have been very generous with your time. Um and I, I appreciate as we as we wind down, I'm gonna ask you a typical question that I ask every guest, and then obviously I'll have the opportunity to plug and promote anything else you want. Um but right now I'm gonna ask you guys to each take a turn and recommend one older album and one newer album, um, metal or otherwise, demo, EP, album, whatever you want. Just recommend something old and something new for the listeners. Oh, older albums. What the hell would be my go-to? Hmm. I'm big on the Morbid Angel. Blessed Out of Sick, man. Classic. Classic. Big one for me. New, I probably couldn't tell you an album, but my new thing right now is I just came across Oathbreaker. Oathbreaker. Oathbreaker, really into Oathbreaker right now. Okay, they're really cool. Man. Name rings a bell. I gotta, I gotta look into them. Yeah, they're kind of avant-garde black metal type ish stuff. Got a female vocalist who does like vocals and just screams. It's it's pretty cool stuff. Okay, all right. Oathbreaker and Blessed Are the Sick, classic. Old and new. Old and new. I would say old album. Sepultura, Morbid Vision. Oh, hell yeah. It's just every song on there. That was my favorite Sepultura. Um, And new... Let's get it over with. I'm going to say the new Watain. I knew it was coming. I I love the album. I know it's a little little more black metal tinge than death metal, but it's an incredibly great album. It's a great, great album. Okay, the new Wattain. Interesting, man. All right, so yeah, you guys are you guys are branching out a little bit with with um. I normally don't listen to metal. <laughs> Just what? to clear that up. What what's what do you listen to? I listen to metal all day long when I'm recording or playing tracks. I mean, I do a lot of session work on the side of doing everything else. So, you know, a good sixty percent of my day is filled up with metal. So normally. I'm all over the place again. Zappa, or listen to a lot of jazz, a lot of gospel. 
I've been listening to a lot of Pink Floyd. It, it kind of, you know, I mean, again, you muck it up, you know, you listen to too much metal. And I don't really pull a lot of influence off things anymore these days where I probably pull more influence from the other stuff I listen to. I, a lot of rap, riffraff all day and all night. I mean, <laughs> Brian can attest to that. Riffraff. I'm all about riffraff. I or Tyler, the creator or, wow. you know. Wow. See, I love hip hop, but, you know, being from Long Island, I'm a little bit more New York centric and I'm a little bit more 90s, like what I grew up with. Oh, don't get me started on that. I mean, but, hell, yeah, we were just listening to Freaks Come Out at Night. Yeah. Or, yeah, or we could yeah. go punk. Hey, man. Oh, if you like saxophones, you know. John Zorn. What? No, man. What the hell? What the hell are they called? Uh, we just listened to him. We came into if you're from New York, you like saxophone or you're OK if, if you like saxophones. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I could listen to uh, all, all different stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, kind of the punk and stuff. I mean, I mean, we get all over the place, though, in reality. I mean, we listen to a lot of country. And again, you just, you know, you get beat out on the metal stuff when you're listening to it all day. Yeah. The thing you want to do the most is just get away from it for a little while. I just find it funny because you guys are probably a few years older than me and you're listening to Riff Raff and Tyler, the creator. Oh, Brian's got years on me. I'm actually yeah. the second youngest in the band. So, <laughs> yeah, because I'm very guilty of not keeping up with, with newer hip hop and younger artists, man, as um, as much as I do with metal. So that's Riff Raff is a clown. It's nothing to take serious. It's it's when we're sitting around drinking yeah. and it's what <laughs> usually comes on because it's I'm in a mood usually, you know. <laughs> that's well that's that's a big part of hip-hop is the vibe and the mood man that's cool oh yeah yeah awesome. but no 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 me and the wife yeah we'll sit around we'll listen to a bunch of old <laughs> stuff too man you know rock the bells man yeah dude yeah now you're talking <laughs> I, I, I dude i'll still put on you know uh heavy d i'll put on the fat boys I'll, I'll oh yeah oh shit, man that yeah. shit will come out yeah yeah yo yeah. give me get a couple drinks in me and that's usually what comes out <laughs> awesome man um well dude, it's it's been great talking to you guys um Absolutely, man. You, you've been very generous with your time i appreciate it uh and just for the listeners as we said um uh we you know you can go back and check out all that music we talked about 2022 uh april 2022 third stage of decay was released which is the yeah. third full length by Viogression. Um, produced by Chris Wisco, kind of a legacy prolific death metal producer himself, who's most likely produced a few of the listeners' favorite death metal albums, and they don't realize it. Um, so I, I encourage everybody to follow you guys on social media, uh, buy the merch, check you guys out when you announce shows, and all that sort of thing, obviously. Um, any, is there anything else that I failed to bring up or promote that you want to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we did. And yeah, pretty much, you know, I mean, everything right now is about Vagression. So, you know, uh, what are we? We're Vagression.info. Yep. That's our website. Got the Vagression on the Facebook. New album. Uh, basically, right now, yeah, all orders need to go either directly through the band or Moribund Records. Kind of a classic oh, yeah. cult label, Moribund, man. I don't see that name hey, around as much yeah. anymore. Well, we're talking about Judas Iscariot, man. Odin yeah. goes yeah. back to the Judas days, man. We originally started working with Odin back Judas Iscariot. So, wow. yeah, yeah. Full circle and, again. Again, big props. Thanks to Odin. And, uh, yeah, so Murder Records, Pest Records. Uh, what's the other one in Florida? Ed Perez and uh, Dark United. Dark United. And, uh, yeah, just check our site look for dates because we're we're in the works right now working up our summer run so that's about the once we get off with you we're going to start talking that over and i'm sure we'll be back out to new york asap 
Great, man. Um, we'll, we'll keep our eyes and our ears peeled, man. And we really appreciate you guys being so generous with your time, man. I'll be in touch as the oh, episode man. goes up. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks, Right, that was our interview with Brian Deneff and Dwayne Timlin of Viogression. Thank you very much to them. We urge you to check out their album, Third Stage of Decay, and everything else we talked about in that interview and all the music we talked about and that they recommended. Uh, great guys. Another great guy with me right now, I got Dave Gladding. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you. Think, think, things are looking up right now. Uh, I'm, I'm, Viogression is one of those bands I've been wanting to check off. The heavy hole checklist since the very since the show was just a little tiny embryonic idea um, way back in the idea before we even recorded anything. So I'm super happy we got to do that. And I talked to those guys recommended some stuff right now. Uh, Dave, I understand you got a good recommendation that you brought to the table. My recommendation this week is the album When the World Dies by Come to Grief, which is uh it is the the long running sludge band from Ma- the Massachusetts area. It's uh, they used to be called Grief, and they had a uh, a name change at some point in the last few years for some stylistic reasons, I think. But uh, this new album is is great stuff. It's still very sludgy and doomy. There's maybe a little bit more melody in it. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head for me. And admittedly, like, I haven't listened to a whole ton of grief over the years. I remember hearing a lot of their old school stuff when I was kind of uh, just finding out about, like, power violence and these, these kind of, like, types of music that shift between hardcore and grindcore and metal years ago um, and having some of their stuff. But uh, I didn't follow them until um, a band I was in actually got the chance to perform with them when they when they came to Long Island as Come to Grief a few years back. And I thought it was great, but then also when you sent me this today, I hadn't really, I didn't know that they had a new album. It wasn't on my radar, admittedly. There's, I can't keep up with everything, you know, that's the only reason. But you pointed this out to me and sent me the link, Come to Grief When the World Dies, fresh off the, uh, off the, um, the uh, out of the oven 2022 translation lost records. Um, and it's very, in a way, it has. I used to talk about in the in the the old school listeners. Maybe Dave, you remember? I used to talk about this metal of death all the time, and a lot of the old episodes, like Cyanide. You yep. know, I I I think it's like it kind of captures a little bit of that. It's like it, there's a, a a great balance of this sludgy. I guess what people might would call like sludge doom or whatever you you might call it, but it's balanced really good with this old school extreme metal element in the songwriting and the intention to like lead guitars and melody you know what i mean yeah it, it does seem I, I hate to say it it sounds like commercial or anything or melodic because it really doesn't but mm-hmm. it does it does feel like they, they they paid a little more attention to like writing songs yeah it, it's to me it sounds a lot more death metal 
And I don't even mean the vocals. I mean in the songwriting, like you said, and some of those leads just hit me out of, they slapped me in the face. I loved it, and um, it really caught my attention. And it, the album, it, it kind of, you know, I don't want to sound, you know, like uh, um, naive here or something, but it kind of opened me up a little bit to that style of music. You know, I like some of those slower bands. You know, um, we've we've interviewed, uh, you know, uh, my friend Ryan, who was in Unearthly Trance, uh, and a lot of bands that maybe keep a little bit of a slower tempo. And um, uh, we interviewed... Um, uh, Primitive Man a while ago. We interviewed Ethan from Primitive Man. And, um, uh, you know, I like some bands, but that's not never been my world. You know, I'm not an expert on that sort of thing. And I was listening to that today. I went back and listened to some of the older Grief records and just tried to put it into context, like the evolution of this um, this group of guys. And it's it really cool stuff, man. Highly recommended. Yeah, I actually recently just bought the um, the reissue of the Grief album, Come to Grief, from way back in the 90s and i forgot how good it was i used to have it on cd and it was really nice to uh to revisit it i I kind of forgot how good that band was i gotta check out their other stuff too i looked up i don't know if it was their very i imagine it was probably one of their first if not their first releases it was an ep from 1992 uh that i was listening to earlier today which was really cool in its own way but a little bit obviously less refined we're talking like 30 years ago or something but um uh, just just to kind of like listen to the legacy of this band, as you know, like I, you know, when I interview people, I go all the way back and listen to this stuff. So I like to trace the evolution of projects and bands and ideas. And this is just, it's almost like it's it's kind of like a masterpiece. You know what I mean? It's just like they, this is a very well respected band that um, uh, you know, has like kept kept their their place in the scene and and they they really did something interesting. And I think that would please their older fans, but is also like sits very well in the current climate of extreme metal too. I agree. Yeah, man. So that's uh, come to grief when the world dies. 2022 on Translation Lost Records. I think this episode won't be out in time, but they're playing in um, uh, an O'Brien's Pub in Alston, Massachusetts. I know. Uh, with hideous and several other bands, people, people. I hope, hopefully, people checked that out. I don't think this episode will be uh, out in time. The early bird gets the worm. You might, if you're listening to this episode today, June 10th, when it's supposed to drop, uh, Amityville Music Hall, go catch Carcosa with their record release for their new album, uh, being supported by Bowel Erosion, Targeted, and Pink Mist at Amityville Music Hall tonight, June 10th, Friday. Um, if you're listening to this uh, this episode on the day it comes out, I, I strongly encourage you to check that out. Um, we've interviewed some of those guys involved in those projects, uh, and the ones the ones who we haven't interviewed, we'll get around to them. Admittedly, some of my bandmates and exsanguinated in Carcosa. Been any shows lately, Dave? No, the last one I went to was necrotic or miasmatic necrosis down in uh, D.C. Oh, you do, these, uh... you went down to D.C. for that? Yeah. Wow, how was that? Uh, it was fun. Um, 
actually, I, I went down with Trevor, my brother, and uh, he he caught COVID from his son. Bummer. And he and he gave me COVID. Oh. <laughs> that but weekend. You guys are brothers, so you yeah, know, you can get past that. So it was nice, but uh, you know, I, I checked in on all the people that I was like talking to, and everybody else, nobody else caught it. We didn't trans, <laughs> we didn't like make it a, a super spreading event. So I was, I was wow. happy about that. Wow. Okay. I, I, what about the show? It was great. I think I'm trying to, I, yeah. Uh, Jarhead fertilizer opened. Yeah. They're, they're making a lot of noise right now. They are really fucking good. And for, and I'm really, I was very happy that it doesn't really sound like full of hell. Mm. It's more like kind of mid paced and groovy with still with blast beats and stuff like that. But, and David Bland does a hell of a job uh, singing and playing drums at the same time. Yeah. What was that? Your cat? Sorry about that. She, she uh, snuck up on me. No, that's awesome. That's like the that might be the first recorded cat on the Heavy Hole podcast in our, our entire history. She was agreeing with you, and I agree with her. Your cat yeah. about David Blaine. Um, wait, what's his name? David Bland. David Bland. I call this dude David Blaine. We're gonna keep that in. David well, Bland. Um, he was a jovial guy when I met. I met him several years back, man. I haven't kept in touch with him, but he he was a nice guy when I met him years ago. A band I was in, I did some shows with Full of Hell. They were nice guys. And um, Jarhead Fertilizer, I always kind of like like you know watch them watch them play a lot of shows and get out there too, man. So the guy must be pretty busy. Yeah, it seems like he's always he's always on the road between uh, Full of Hell and uh, Jarhead Fertilizer, and uh, then Sulfuric Sulfuric Cautery played. They fucking just blew everybody away they're stupid fast i heard a room like, i heard a rumor sophia cutter he might be playing uh uh closer to home than that um uh, uh sometime soon but i'm not gonna spill oh, any beans on it that'd be nice I'd, i would love to see them again it's allegedly allegedly is the rumor there's tmz this is, you know you heard of tmz it's like tdm technical death metal is <laughs> the rumor yeah. mill but yeah but yeah who knows man keep your eyes out plf played they're always good they're always yeah yeah just mind-blowing and then you know me is magic necrosis our friends friends of the show great guys amazing band yeah uh, uh on the on the come up absolutely yeah they they crushed it they blew everybody's minds it was great well uh, you gave me a great segue because i'm trying to plug shows a little bit more on the podcast if you guys are noticing i'm trying to be a little bit more with the times and like interview people when they got a new project out, we can promote and talk about the shows that are like you know current. I'm trying to do, keep that in the notes. So you talk about miasmatic necrosis. There's also 200 stab wounds. Um, uh, you got the the sanguisugabog head headlining. You got mutilatred, who we talked about. You got teeth, castle free, whole bunch of oxalate, exsanguinated. Um, uh, a project I'm honored to be part of. Um, and we're honored to be part of Necrofest 7-9, July the 9th at St. Vitus here in New York. That's going to be a big old fest with all those bands and a few more that I just mentioned. Um, for a very reasonable price, you go to St. Vitus uh, and check that out, the 9th of July, um, Necrofest. And uh, there's all, there's two days to it, man. It's a whole big thing. Check them out on, on uh, social media, whatever you do, Necrofest uh, here in uh, New York. I think they're based out of Brooklyn there. There's, uh, there's actually three days. That's right. It's three day. You got um the eighth of July. You got Devil Master, the Lousy Gel, um Comierda, uh, Funeral Dancer, local band Funeral Dancer. We interviewed Nick Luizzi. We had him on the podcast talking all about Funeral Dancer, uh, and more. Um, and we you know we talked a little bit. We we already kind of went through the death metal day on the uh, um ninth. Then you also got um 
Yeah, the on the tenth, July tenth is I guess it's more of like a like a grind day. Yeah, Chapang. No yeah, no mas, Chapang. Um Mo- moisturizer, sissy spacic. Now we're talking. Hallucination realized, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Tom's gonna edit that all together like we knew exactly what we we're talking about, tough guy. It was yeah. all in the notebook the whole time. But yeah, Necrofest New York. We we support it, you should too. Um, and we, you know, we also talk, you, you go back to the Dave Castillo episode a few weeks ago, we talked about the St. Vitus bar. Uh, so there's a lot there. You can go, you can go back and check it out. We interviewed, uh, the dudes from, uh, Sanguasugabag, uh, which are trying to get a few of those artists we mentioned back in here and all that sort of thing. Miasmatic, miasmatic necrosis. We had Dan and Paulo in here. We have Paulo in here a lot, um, in the beginning of the, of the, uh, the podcast and all that. So people, people go back in the podcast history and check out some of these acts. Um, and and also you can go on Patreon. Um, look up Heavy Hole Podcast on Patreon if you want to throw a couple of bucks down a month. We got bonus episodes, uh, different little content. Um, sometimes with the guests, uh, behind the scenes stuff. Sometimes just outtakes. Sometimes bonus content, recommending albums and all sorts of things. Um, and and you know, go on your social media and check us out. Like we say, go to the voicemail that should be listed in the description of wherever you're listening to this and leave us a voicemail. Tell us what you thought of the interview or what you thought about anything really. And uh, we might even play it on the show and react to it. Dave, I reacted to those recommendations you gave me, man. I appreciate you tonight. Hey, man, it's always good talking to you. Yeah, thank you for your uh, contribution. And thanks, of course, to our guests Brian Deneff and Dwayne Timlin for their contributions. Um, Viogression, a band I've always respected. Uh, and I do have kind of like a secret list uh, uh, tucked in the back of my mind. You know, Brutality. Um, uh, Lee, Lee from uh, Monstrosity was one, and Viogression tonight, man, that really was one. Oh!